History tells us that a little guy by the name of Telemachus, who's under five feet tall, a man who was a monk by calling, was on his way to visit Rome for the first time in his life. It was in the days of Caesar and the gladiators, and as, as Telemachus made his way into the city, the crowds had gathered. They were making their way through the streets, feeling the Roman Colosseum with shouts of, of excitement and anticipation for what was ahead. Telemachus had heard what those fights were all about, what they were like. He'd never witnessed them personally, never have, having visited Rome. So he thought he'd go and see. And as he was swept up in the crowds, entering this Colosseum, filling the stands, thousands and thousands and thousands of shouting people. And then it began, it all started as the gladiators made their way out onto the field and Caesar came out and took his stand in that special place designated for dignitaries. The gladiators saluted Caesar, hail Caesar, the crowd shouted. It was to be as it always was a fight to the death. And so it began. As the gladiators started to have at it and, and that unmistakable sound of, of, of the metal clanging against metal in this fight that was to last as long as it would last. No one knew, but it was about strength. It was about strategy. It was about who would be victorious in front of the crowds that day. And the crowds loved it as they cheered. Telemachus was in the back row. Nobody really heard him say it or shout it because he was such a little man. But he called out nonetheless, and he shouted out, In the name of Christ, stop! Nobody heard him. The cheering crowds only continued as the gladiators, now picking up other objects of death, were swinging balls and chains and, and making a racket in front of the crowd that loved every moment. Kill them! They kept saying one another. And yet Telemachus shouted out, In the name of Christ, stop! He made his way as he started to walk down uh, the, the stairway of the Colosseum. And, and he said it again, in the name of Christ, stop. A few people noticed and laughed at him. They're like, who's the little guy? Give me a break. Keep cheering everybody to the death. And Telemachus wouldn't relent. In the name of Christ, stop. As he looked at the crowds. Caught the eye of a few others and they laughed at him and then they pushed him and Telemachus lost his balance and started to fall down the stairs, skinning his cheek on the pavement of the stairway. He got up and he, as people laughed at his clumsiness as they called it, and he looked at them and he said, in the name of Christ, stop. Oh, but the fight continued. Again, the crowd loved it as, as one gladiator got a swipe on the arm of the other gladiator and, and had the first sign of blood on the field. And the crowd cheered in the gore of what was to come. In the name of Christ, stop, shouted Telemachus. As he made his way to the front of the grandstand, looking up at the people, in the name of Christ, sh stop! As blood was coming down his cheek, people laughed all the more, spit on him, and with that, they pushed him over the side, onto the field. It was about a six-foot drop down to the dirt, and, and Telemachus went head first, this time landing on the left side of his face, bloodied, and his arm bloodied from being skinned in the gravel. 
in the name of Christ, stop. As he made himself to his feet once again and walked to the middle of the Colosseum. By this time, the gladiators had stopped looking back at him as the crowds cheered all the more, laughing at Telemachus and saying, to the death, to the death. And the gladiators started laughing at the little guy too. In the name of Christ, stop, shouted Telemachus as he positioned himself between these two warriors. In the name of Christ, stop. And then the crowd shouted, kill him, kill him. And the gladiators raised their swords to Caesar as Caesar nodded with agreement. And with two swipes, Telemachus came to an end. And the crowd went silent. The realization that Telemachus' blood, an innocent man, was on them. They say that the crowds emptied that day within a few minutes. And people were in silence, realizing what they had done. And they say that that was to be the last gladiator battle that would happen in the Colosseum because of one small little man who said, in the name of Christ, stop. Jesus once talked about the importance of peace and the fact that sometimes bearing the name of Jesus will bring about persecution. Now, let's read Matthew chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, or 9 through 10 together. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to leave that up there to meditate on these words today. As we've been looking at what it is to truly live a blessed life through the eyes of our Savior, who redefines what being blessed really is. And we've learned that it's really kind of upside down from a lot of times what we think it means to be blessed. And when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, or blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are those who mourn, things that we think are opposite of what would truly make one blessed, and Jesus turns that on end. And so it is today. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. For what? they will be called children of God. What's it mean to be a peacemaker? Maybe, first of all, to define that God himself has a high value on peace. We learned about that last week, that God has a high value on mercy, defining himself by mercy. And so it is with peace. Throughout the Old Testament and New Testament scriptures, we are reminded that peace matters to God. And not just a, a false kind of pseudo-peace, but true peace that wells up internally in a human heart, in a mind that isn't based on circumstances or situations or whether or not things are going well or our candidate made it into office or not. It, no, it's a peace based in a relationship with God. A Savior Jesus who comes and says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. But the peace our God comes to bring is found in Jesus. He's the ultimate peacemaker. And I think this is important to point out. It's, 
Jesus didn't come as a peacekeeper. See, that's very different. Sometimes I think people have this picture, well, Jesus was the great peacekeeper. And, and if that would have been the case, here's what it might have looked like. Jesus would have shown up and says, okay, everybody, let's just all get along. Everything's just fine. Get over being so uptight and emotional and frustrated. Just calm down. Everything's going to be okay. Right? Peacekeepers kind of take that approach. Peacekeeping is about maybe avoiding reality and glossing over it and just letting everybody know everything's fine. I'm so thankful Jesus didn't come that way. Because had he, he could have also said, don't worry about it. Your sin is fine. You are fine just the way you are. Don't worry about it. Live any way you want after all. All that matters is that you're at peace with yourself and at peace with your environment and at peace with those around you. That's what matters. Oh, make me sick. Really? Because if he had come like that, he would have completely sidestepped the whole reason he came. Jesus came because peace would require making peace. And sometimes making peace requires sacrifice and pain and struggle and saying hard words, speaking truth in love. Peacekeeping is very different. But our God doesn't come as a peacekeeper. He comes as a peacemaker. And interestingly, as a peacemaker, Maker, our God who has reconciled us from all eternity through the work and person of Jesus who is bloodied on that hill called Calvary where he bleeds for us in the sacrifice that would bring us peace in the presence of God as he is taking that place in our place to pay for our sin and our brokenness so that we might experience true peace, not pseudo peace or false peace or glossed over peace but true peace, to know that when we stand before our Heavenly Father, that we stand there in the peace of God that goes beyond all understanding, that He would love us in that kind of way. And Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. It struck me this week, and I'd never really thought of this before, that Jesus says they will be called children of God. And think about that. Who are children of God? Raise your hand if you're a child of God. It's 8 o'clock and you're raising your hand because you're awake and you know this is true. God has called you by name as a treasured child of God. As 1 John 3 verse 1 says it. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called children of God. And that is what we are. And John would go on to write, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his, atoning sacrifice, his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. This is love, and it's the love of the Father lavished on us that we would be called children of God, and that is what we are. And I don't think it's a stretch here to rec recognize that by nature of our calling as children of God, God in turn as a God of peace and a God who is a peacemaking God recognizes that his calling over us then is all of us is to be peacemakers. I know what happens sometimes. Oh, that's not my gift. I, I, I'm better at stirring up the pot. I, I'm better at pointing out what's wrong with everybody. I'm, I'm better at 
being strategic and just seeing what happens. Really? When we refuse to forgive, when we continue to hold a grudge against someone who's hurt us, in our families, in our workplaces, in our churches, when our God has called us to be peace. Makers, it's part of our identity as a treasured child of God. It's part of who we are. It becomes part of our DNA. A God who has given us peace through the grace, mercy, and forgiveness of Christ is a God who then works through his people to extend that to one another. To be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. A lot of us are great at being peacekeepers, pretending everything's fine. <laughs> no, a God who says, I call you to be peacemakers. And sometimes that involves speaking very difficult truth in love, not to get back at somebody, but rather in love, much like a person who's been diagnosed with cancer. And some of you've gone through this. You don't go to a doctor and the doctor says, well, you have cancer, but don't worry about it. It'll be fine. No. A good doctor, a good surgeon will say, we're going to have surgery here. And, and it, I'm not going to tell you it's going to be easy. It might be hard, but here's the thing. Healing will come as a result of this. God says peace sometimes involves something that's difficult, speaking truth in love. We're called to be peacemakers. But not only that, Jesus goes on to say this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of, say it with me, righteousness. righteousness. Very different than being persecuted. Uh, you ever do this where you're like, well, I'm, I really want to, I want to do this. I'm going to do this. And, and, and we go off on our own direction. Maybe it's a, a plan for our family. We're going to do this or build this or spend money on this. And it'll be great. But it's not of God. And it causes conflict or causes someone to speak up and say, I'm not sure this is a good idea. Like, oh, don't persecute me. Are you kidding me? That's not persecution. What, what God is telling us, Jesus is telling us here is being persecuted for righteousness, for bearing the name of Jesus. Some years ago, uh, one of my former congregations, we'd gone through a very extensive remodeling and expansion project and uh, it was exhausting, to say the least, but one of the, the steps along the way that was so exciting as uh, we were seeing the plans come together and, and the future of what was possible, knowing the church and, and, and school ministry wasn't a building, but it was a tool uh, to continue to bless that ministry. And so as the plans were coming together, we recognized some of the changes were going to impact our neighborhood. And we love our neighbors. We loved our neighborhood. And... We, we had a series of meetings uh, where we invited the neighborhood to come in. And I actually, some of us, we went door to door, inviting people, just saying, hey, we, we care about you. We just want you to be part of this project to know and understand there's no secrets here. Uh, I want you to be fully informed. Please come. We're going to have a, a presentation and a, a neighborhood gathering. And uh, we had a, a series of those. And, and the sense was, wow, these went really, really well. And just, again, reminded us how we had been placed in a neighborhood to reach a neighborhood for Jesus. And, uh, and then as, as the project progressed, uh, the time came where we had to go before the village board for zoning. And, uh, and they have closed access television that would go through all the local cable channels. And uh, so the whole 
community could watch the proceedings. And so on TV, uh, we, I mean, it was intimidating, like going before the Supreme Court and, and our building team going before them, presenting these plans. And, and that first night when we were there, I looked and there was this gathering of about 40 of our neighbors that were all there. And what I came to realize is that someone had gone door to door to kind of stir up the crowd. And they then went and presented as the village said, okay, any, any thoughts on this proposal? And some neighbors right next door to our, our church facility, who I thought we were on the same page, stood up in front of the village board, in front of all those that had gathered that night as well as on TV, and shouted out, Reverend Mark, that's what they called me. I never have called myself that, but they said, Reverend Mark is a liar. And they went through all of these things and said all of these things that I had never said. And they said, see, this project shouldn't go through because they're trying to deceive this community. They're trying to lie. And this should not be allowed. And, and I remember just like tensing up saying, but I never, I never said that. Like, what? Like, this isn't true. Like, what? What do you do in that moment? And in the weeks that would follow, there were people in our own church that were there or weren't there, but they saw it on TV. They came to see me. Is this true? Is this true? I said, I don't know what to say, but none of it's true. And they left our church. And I remember like losing sleep and, and even crying in the middle of the night saying, Lord, I, I didn't sign up for this. And while around about that same time, I remember reading through Matthew and, and got to this, but then also Matthew 11 through, through 12. Let's go to that. You know, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, Jesus says, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There was some kind of sense of, you know what, it's okay. You know, can you imagine if I'd stood up and started to defend myself and went door to door angry? Was that going to help? Of course not. Sometimes when we bear the name of Jesus, we just bear the name. Knowing that there will be times where others will say things against us that are not true. And we bear the name of Jesus with joy and with peace and with gladness. But I'm, I'm not naive enough to think that that's really persecution. You know, we, sometimes in America we say, oh, I'm being persecuted because somebody at work disagrees with our faith and challenges us on it. That's exactly what it is. It's a challenge. That's not persecution. Those are opportunities to bear witness for our faith. Persecution is very different. I want to open scripture with you in, in closing here today. Can we pull our, our worship Bibles out and turn to Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 11, because I think this puts in perspective what Jesus is teaching us here. Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to pick it up with verses 13 and through 16. The writer of Hebrews has just spent some time going through Old Testament history and talking about the faithfulness of those who had gone before us, and, and from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and intermixed in all of that, and and, and he gets to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. And, and this is what he says about these people. He says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Do you hear that? 
admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And just jumping ahead from there up to verses 30, 35, the second part of verse 35 on, the writer goes on, there were others who were tortured refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And I love this phrase. The world was not worthy of them. For they wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what has been promised or had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Fulfillment comes in Jesus, the one who is tortured, the one who is put to death, the one who culminates the promises that came before and the promise that comes through him. We, together with those who have gone before us, the martyrs, which are often called the the blood of the martyrs, is what? The seeds of the church. In times of persecution, how the church has prevailed. And why is that? Because Jesus says, be glad. Because your home isn't here. Your home is in heaven. We are citizens of that. And persecution has a way of reminding us that as comfortable as we want to get here, this is not what it's all about. Our joy, our peace, our strength, our promise is based in something that goes beyond what we see here. What a a thought today. To realize we are on holy ground with God's church. And not to glamorize suffering for Jesus, not to make it sound really wonderful to die for Christ. Oh, it's terrible. But for a believer and for the church, may it only remind us we are here just for a temporary time. And in our time here, we bear witness for the name of Jesus. In a world in which persecution is at an all-time high, people who are dying every day for their faith in Christ, may we not forget, as God's church, how blessed we truly are. In Jesus' name. Amen. We pray. Lord, thank you for coming among us to bring peace. Not to be a peacekeeper, not to be a a God who brings pseudo-peace, but true peace of mind and heart and soul. Peace with you, Lord God. Forgiven, made new in Jesus and his sacrifice for us. Lord, we thank you for opportunities every day to be peacemakers and to do so even when it's inconvenient, even when it stretches us to step out in faith according to our calling in you. Lord, teach us as your people, as your church, as a community, what it means to work toward peacemaking in all circumstances. Lord, we pray as well that you help us to bear witness for you. And boldness. We ask your forgiveness, your grace for all the times we have failed you, for all the times in fear we have turned and walked away from opportunities to bear witness. But Jesus, may we be ignited 
through the sacrifice of those who have gone before us. People for whom the world is not worthy, as your scripture reminds us, because of their calling in you to bear witness in excruciating moments, in times, and circumstances. But Lord, we are glad and we are thankful because it only reaffirms our citizenship with you in heaven. That we are not for this world, we are for what is ahead. And you give us each day this opportunity to bear witness for that name, your name above all names. It's in Jesus' name we praise you, now and always. Amen.